0: But first, we wanted to check in and see what is happening on one of the more high-profile cases playing out in a BC courtroom. That is the extradition fight involving CFO of Huawei Meng Wanzhou. And immigration lawyer and policy analyst Richard Curland has been following along with what's been happening in court, and he joins us on the line now. Richard, so great to have you back on the show.
1: Always a pleasure, Jill. Thank you. Uh,
0: it seemed like there were some interesting uh, revelations, I guess we could say, that uh, that have come out in court. Uh, what are you hearing as far as uh, the process of the arrest and how things went down?
1: A surprise curveball was uh, tossed by a witness who doesn't want to testify. Uh, the defense was handed chocolate cake with this one. The senior, now retired, RCMP... Uh, officer, uh, who apparently was the go-between with FBI and Canadian law enforcement, doesn't want to testify on the advice of his counsel. This is odd. Uh, As the defense correctly states, uh, it's concerning. Uh, this, This path of questioning would have revealed who knew what and when, what was the extent of the planning uh, between American law enforcement and uh, the Canadian law enforcement in particular? The huge question, apparently this is a a key player in, quote-unquote, a mistake in handing over uh, information to American law enforcement that they could not otherwise get from Ms. Mung. So it's a troubling path of great concern to the parties a gift to the defense uh, but the presiding judge uh, has the last call on this uh,
0: because it seems strange doesn't it that someone just uh, says uh, i'm not going to testify thanks but no thanks i won't be there <laughs> I mean-
2: process is that
1: particularly in a geopolitically sensitive internationally high-profile case affecting three nations economies trade and diplomatic circuits so yeah this one's big the presiding judge in virtue of section 28 of the extradition act has the power to compel testimony and and uh, if the subpoena is ignored the presiding judge also has the power uh... to find contempt of court and as you know that includes both your wallet and the body uh, that can be detained
0: I understand, too, there was also some question about Meng Wanzhou's citizenship and that she might actually still be a permanent resident of Canada, and that was questioned in court as well.
1: Uh, It's questioned in court, but that's uh, the previous testimony indicated she was not a permanent resident of Canada. She voluntarily relinquished her permanent residence, uh, and, and many people do for many different reasons. Uh, what I found interesting was the multiplicity of citizenships in her possession at some point in time, maybe not today. It's fascinating to me because the law of China doesn't let that happen. You're only allowed Chinese citizenship and nothing else. Uh, but uh, again, uh, that may have been um, cleaned up, so to speak. Uh, the fun parts coming ahead. Uh, are going to be the examinations under oath of uh, Canada's senior officials in law enforcement, possibly including intelligence officials. Uh, that's high drama. Uh, and I, I don't know what's going to come first. Uh, the uh, uh, new President Biden, the afternoon of January 20th, or the uh, possible resolution w- between the meeting of the minds of our Canadian Prime Minister, the American President, Uh, which all might occur prior to the next uh, chapter scheduled for April 2021. We may well see. Uh, I'm just speculating, but what if there's a plea bargain? What if someone agrees to pay a fine uh, and uh, the American arrest uh, warrant is dropped because there's no longer the need for an extradition proceeding? A new president can do exactly that. A new president can blame the predecessor, for political interference and a a path that led to an abuse of a Canadian process. I'm sure this is on the top five list of a conversation between the uh, incoming President uh, Biden and his uh, VP, who grew up in Montreal, I might add. And so can the United States may actually work this out in the months to come.
0: Uh, do you think that might be why we're seeing this uh, retired, uh, the, the senior official who has said the retired uh, RCMP staff sergeant, um, is he trying to, you think, maybe play out the clock in hopes well, that that does happen and he doesn't have to testify?
1: Brilliant question, because I, I, I take that question and I go further and ask things that I'm not supposed to ask. Who paid the lawyer? Is it a lawyer from the Department of Justice, the same department defending the crown, or is it a private sector, arm's-length lawyer giving independent legal advice? I don't know, but it just looks to me that this move, and I don't believe uh, there's any evidence to show it's strategic or tactical, but this move in of itself is a screen door in the submarine, because there's going to be a gaping hole Uh, in in the evidence uh, that wasn't created by the defense. And so it's going to be up to the presiding judge to carefully look at this and hear all sides and come to a decision whether or not to compel testimony. (laughs) For me, it's exciting. Uh,
0: It's just uh, every time we we check in with you, and that's why we like to, there just seems to be one more little piece that exactly that. It kind of makes you think, well, where is this going to go?
1: Well, that's the juice. When you have a never-ending cash flow to service the best legal talent in Canada, and I, I, I'm not on that list, I'm just an observer, uh, you can go uh, for as long as the fuel lasts and the process allows. So this thing is not going away uh, anytime soon. It may, for political reasons, but technically, legally, the process uh, has a best before date of at least another eight years. Hmm.
0: All right. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. I know we were going to talk to you about this again, I'm sure, in the next, uh, who knows when. But thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, Jill, take care. Thanks for joining us on what is turning out to be a rather blustery day. Seeing on social media, the Van Dusen Garden apparently is closed because of high winds. The road into Golden Ears Park closed also due to trees falling caused by the high winds. Also seeing some pictures in the marpool area of trees that have come down. And there are plenty of power outages. And Susie Ryder with BC Hydro is with us now to bring us up to date. Susie, thanks so much. I know it's a busy day for you. It is, but
3: it's my pleasure to be on your show, Jill. And uh, I, I, sorry, oh, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask you, I'm looking at the map and it seems like there are red dots everywhere. And I just wanted to run down or run through, if you could, where, which part of the province is getting particularly hard hit right now?
3: Well, right now there are about 71,000 customers uh, on Vancouver Island and the south coast without power. So the areas hardest hit, uh, as we speak, are Maple Ridge with about 5,000 customers out, Surrey with about 20,000 customers out, and Courtney on the island with about 10,000 customers out. And
0: crews, I would imagine, uh, working at Hydro generally, or I know when given warning, is able to kind of get crews in place so they're in the areas where it's anticipated. Were you able to do that this time?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we do prepare for storm season year-round, so our crews can activate storm response at a moment's notice. And we have in-house meteorologists that track storms and inform our restoration plans. And we also have a bunch of offices throughout the province, so crews are always well-positioned to respond quickly uh, when problems occur. And for this one, it's all, all hands on deck. And this is the second major storm event that has caused significant damage to our system on the south coast in Vancouver Island this fall. And uh, we did release a report this week that found the severity and frequency of storms causing damage to our system is increasing. So there's been a 117% increase in these storms over the past several years. So they are getting worse, and part of it is due to global warming.
0: And when you fix things or or get things back online, does Hydro also do anything as far as making them more resilient, knowing that the, the
3: storms are getting worse? Yeah, absolutely. We take every storm as a learning experience, no matter how big or small it may be. And after every major storm, we do take that step back and take a look at how we did with our storm response and procedures and assess things. And For instance, we do things like looking at how we could have deployed resources differently or more efficiently—that type of thing. So, for the storm today, like you said, it's
0: uh, around seventy-one thousand customers without power uh, right now. And are you anticipating uh, things to get worse before they get better?
3: Well, it looks like this storm's going to peak around one thirty PM. Uh, So, we are expecting more outages to continue until about then. But um, our crews will work throughout the day and evening to restore power as quickly as possible. And Um, We expect most customers will have their power restored within hours. But, of course, this is going to depend on the location and severity of the outage. And, of course, we really appreciate everyone's patience as our crews work to get uh, the power restored. And we know this is a really difficult time um, for a lot of people with with COVID, of course. And uh, we did release in our report some findings that people do feel more prepared for storms this year because they've stocked up on COVID-19 supplies. But uh, over half of British Columbians still don't have an emergency preparedness kit. So we really just want to urge British Columbians to get ready for storms like this and extended outages. Uh, do go out and get that emergency preparedness kit and have a plan for your family, a contingency plan. Um, because these long outages can happen. And we had a really bad storm in 2018. There were 750,000 people across the province without power. Mm -hmm. And uh, incidents like that just show the importance of being well-prepared to ride out a storm at home, especially during a time like this when it's really difficult to go ride out a storm at a friend's or family's home or even in public, uh, going to a public place to ride out a storm. So our, our main message here is just really be prepared.
0: Yeah, it's always a good thing to remember and to to remind people. Um, If somebody is in an area with a power outage and they're not sure if Hydro knows about it, what should they do?
3: Well, they can uh, give us a call at 1-800-BC-HYDRO or they can go to bchydro.com slash outages or go to at uh, bchydro on Twitter to check for updates as well.
0: And for people as well, uh, if they want to to find out when it's coming back on, my guess is you don't want to be inundated with calls from people asking that. Uh, does the website get updated? I mean, obviously, if somebody's without power, but hopefully they have a phone or something that they might be able to check.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the the website is updated up to the minute. Um, Another uh, preparation step that's important is just making sure you have uh, an external phone charger. So, we found a lot of people are really concerned in an outsource about losing uh, what many consider a lifeline, their cell phone. Um, so, just purchasing one of those external chargers is, is a really great step to take.
0: And, and you mentioned, too, that the report that Hydro had done uh, taking a look at the severity of storms. Uh, is it, is it uh, odd that we're sitting at uh, November 17th and already in the second major storm event?
3: I mean, we, we have found within the past few years that storms are getting more frequent and they are getting more severe. Um, and if you look at the science behind it, a lot of it points to global warming. Um, so, you know, with the arrival of storm season and the challenges of COVID, we just want to remind British Columbians that it's really important to get prepared because these storms are seeming to become the new normal.
0: And one more time for people as well. If you see downed power lines, what is the best advice?
3: Yes, uh, down power lines are an emergency. Call nine one one, and uh, BC Hydro will be on scene after the first responders uh, secure the scene. All right, good advice, Susie. I hope
0: things uh, are okay. And like you said, storm expected to peak around one thirty. Uh, likely more power outages, uh, but I know crews are working very hard. Thanks so much for joining us to bring us up Thank to you. date. Thank you, Joe. Bye. Well, we've been talking about the stormy weather today. There are trees down in parts of the province, power outages as well. That's not uh, the worst weather, though. As we know, there will be more severe winter weather coming in the coming weeks. And, uh, well, the coming weeks. What does that mean for people, though, that don't have shelter and will be looking for shelter spaces? Well, Jeremy Hanka joins us now, a spokesperson with Union Gospel Mission. Jeremy, thanks so much for being with us.
4: Hi, Jill. Thanks for having us.
0: Uh, How are things going at this point?
4: I mean, it's intense. Absolutely intense. Um, It's been intense, right? I mean, generally, it's always intense, but especially since the pandemic, things have um, really gotten more complicated, more complex, and we've actually seen a big increase in the need uh, around people just looking for basic shelter. So um, we're talking... um, you know, since May, going back to May, we've seen a big increase in the number of turnaways from our shelter, the vast majority of those for lack of space. So a 73% increase from from 2019. And going back to 2018, we've almost seen twice the number of turnaways. So this indicates that the need is still rising, the need is still surging. And that's particularly uh, concerning slash scary for us when we know that the worst and the most dangerous weather is still just around the corner. Uh,
0: So is it a combination then of having to do and keep some kind of distancing measures in place and also an increase in people because of the pandemic that are in need?
4: I think you nailed it on the head. Um, We do know, especially near the beginning of the pandemic, that we were seeing new people who either were not homeless before or were part of the hidden homeless, like they were sleeping on people's couches, or or something similar and because of socially distancing they weren't able to do that anymore we also saw more people just flat out becoming homeless during that time at the same time um because of the incredibly important um health um protocols and guidelines that we must make sure we're following um and when i say we i'm talking about you know uh, homeless shelters and and emergency workers around the, the region because of that uh we there's it requires a lot more space, it re- requires a lot more staff, and there's a lot more complications and concerns around COVID-19. So we do know that not this isn't a phenomenon we're seeing just at Union Gospel Mission, but around the region, um, we're actually seeing fewer extreme weather response spaces being made available this year over last. So short, I guess the short story is, need is up. And some of the uh, emergency measures that we've typically had are down. And that is concerning, especially right before the winter.
0: Hmm. So how many spaces would you normally have then? And how many do you have now because of the distancing rules?
4: So luckily, we, we've we been able to maintain our shelter. Um, 72 spaces we have open every night. And... We've done that by not only um, having our shelter in different rooms to protect against any spread from COVID-19, but also putting it on separate floors. Um, so what that means for us, and what that means for many others, is that it's a lot harder to open extra spaces because you're already taking up more space. You're using more staff. You're using, um, you know, you've got a whole a whole list of things you have to do around PPE and COVID nineteen because we need to keep people these, we need to keep people safe and healthy. Um, so um, around the region, what we're seeing is a re- is a reduction in some of the extreme, uh, extra extreme weather spaces. Um, so whereas before uh, we might have 100 or 200 plus extreme weather spaces open which are essentially last resort get people out of the cold mats on the floor um in the past when we've had you know a couple hundred of those or maybe over a hundred now on several occasions this year uh we're down to maybe you know several dozen or you know a marked reduction in those types of things so what we're saying is we need uh there's no there's no blame to go around here it's not like we're pointing anybody needs to have the finger pointed at them but what we're saying is we are all we all need to work together to this is still a problem and this is uh something that we need to work together to find solutions so if there's um uh, any way that we can address this immediately while we wait for more housing and more emergency support from other levels of government to step up let's do that
0: uh, so what would what would that look like, do you think? I, I mean, are you looking for spaces uh, that might be empty spaces now that could be used and, and other people to come forward or for government? Or what, what do you think looks like the solution or even the short term solution?
4: The biggest thing, I'll say right off the bat, we need an escalation at every level. We need to elevate every level of effort. In particular, we, what we really need are you know spaces uh, for people to self-isolate, to be inside, to be healthy, not just temporary, not just overnight, not just during the winter or during a storm, but, but throughout the entire season. So that we need more of from the municipal governments, from federal and provincial. We just need that on. We need that coming. We need it fast. Um, in the meantime, there may, we know that there may be some organizations or other faith-based groups like churches that in the past might have been able to have an extreme weather response shelter. But this year, because uh, of lack of space, because of those COVID-19 concerns, they're either operating fewer spaces or in some cases they, may, they might not have been able to open up at all right, right yet. So we're saying, let's let's work together to figure this out, to make sure we get more spaces open to get people safe and out of the cold. Um, they can contact us at UGM. We might be able to put them in touch with some organizations that are looking for more spaces. Uh, there may be churches in the past who have who have done extreme weather response spaces in the past and yet so far haven't been able to do it. But we want to work with, with them to say, what can we do to get more of these spaces open this year? Um, it's, it's not easy. It's complicated. But it's good work that will save lives.
0: Are you hearing anything more as well about the city's plans and the, the funding that's coming from other level of governments that's dependent on wraparound services and whether or not that's happening?
4: So the last uh the last I've heard on that personally and I'm not necessarily the one that's the most up to date but I know that I I've heard that likely we're closing in on maybe uh uh, having some of those places online, so making the agreements with um, with housing or with uh, hotels to get people inside, I know that this, uh, I mean the city of Vancouver, uh, we talked before that they uh, recently pushed through and approved a thirty million dollar budget to help the federal government uh, just uh, announced fifty million dollars, so these money is coming, and these efforts are ongoing, but uh, we haven 't seen them. We haven't seen everything set up yet, and, and in some cases, much, much of it still is coming. So that, that's really what we need. The extreme weather spaces are so important, but they're, they're not necessarily the answer. We really need these long-term housing supports with Raffron services up and running. That's, that will really, really help.
0: And in the meantime, I I would imagine it's also the same fundraising that UGM does, uh, especially during the holiday season. And uh, I would guess that that's still in very high demand and you're depending on people for that as well.
4: Yeah, I mean, people always say, I've said this before, people always look at homelessness and the crisis around them and say, what can I possibly do? I'm so small. Uh, What can I do to to help this massive problem? The answer is you can do more than nothing. You can do an action. So that might be uh, donating at utm.ca, where right now you can get your donation matched over the next couple of days, or, um, you know, helping out with other organizations. And there's a lot of need, which means there's a lot of good opportunity to do good right now.
0: All right. Well, Jeremy, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. But thanks so much for joining us, and we'll stay tuned to see what happens next.
4: Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jill.
0: We've been talking a lot about wearing masks, mandatory masks. So we just learned that Saskatchewan has brought in a mask mandate. The Saskatchewan government mandating the wearing of masks in all indoor public spaces. That is province wide. And certainly there have been plenty of questions put to Dr. Bonnie Henry and our health minister, Adrian Dix, about why there isn't a mask mandate here. Dr. Henry clarifying that a bit yesterday, saying it's a part of the WorkSafe BC safety plans that businesses are required to have in order to operate under the pandemic rules. And in those plans, there is a mask mandate that hasn't stopped people from calling daily it seems for a provincial mandate to take it out of the hands of business and just make it one blanket rule right across the province well would that be better for businesses Uh, my next guest is very well known my guess is you have gone into a daniel's chocolates at some point in your life Uh, daniel poncelet joins me on the line now to talk a little bit more about what uh, things look like right now thank you so much uh, for being with us
5: hello jill thank you for having me
0: uh you have owned Daniel's Chocolates uh, for quite some time. How long uh, has your business been operating in Vancouver?
5: Oh my goodness. You <laughs> make me suddenly very old.
0: Oh, you can you can round it. You can give us a a, a ballpark figure.
5: Uh, 40 years.
0: <laughs> uh so and how are things going? This uh, would I imagine uh, be going into one of the busiest times of the year for you. How are things going under the pandemic?
5: Ha. It's a very difficult situation for us because <clears throat> we do not know what's going to happen in the next uh, four weeks, four or five weeks. Um, But we cannot stop making chocolates. So, uh, (laughs) will there be too much? Or, you know, it it is extremely difficult. But regardless, we we just follow our program and we make the chocolates uh, like it's going to be a very good Christmas. Which actually, I start dotting a little bit Uh, i don't think we're going to see the volumes that we used to for many reasons Uh, i think people are going to buy less Uh, we were just discussing this this morning are we going to have less customers or the transactions will be uh, smaller so i'll go for the second uh opinion hopefully
0: Uh, well how have things been and i I, and i guess it's kind of different in that you you would be going into normally the the busiest season but did you have to close down at all even at the beginning of the pandemic
5: yes we did close all our stores except the factory stores in uh we closed for two months and um if you remember there was just uh the closing happened mid March, which was about two weeks before Easter. So that means all our Easters or Easter chocolate were made and we were saying, ooh, ooh. <laughs> what is gonna happen? Are we gonna eat them all? <laughs> um, but we what we did is um uh we discovered that people were ordering online and pick up at a factory store like we are advocating now for uh, for christmas because adding distancing is still uh, in application now and uh, we don't have a large space so we would push people to order online and pick up at the at the factory store to be safe to be on the safe side for everybody for the the customers and for the staff <clears throat>
0: Right. And, and I would imagine, too, and that's what a lot of businesses did and really moved to the curbside pickup or the home delivery, uh, which I think you have home delivery uh, as well. Is there a, a, a challenge, though, as far as there are still people that want to come into the store and want to see the products and and, and be part of that, that transaction? Is, is there a challenge without without having a provincial mandate when it comes to masks?
5: We didn't have any... Okay. Uh, I cannot tell you exactly the percentage of people who come in the store with a mask because I'm only here at the factory, so I don't know the other stores. But according to our managers, people are very responsible, and the great majority of them, which to me, I understand, be over 90%, come inside the store with a mask. But I would think that it would definitely help any business if the provincial government would mandate, okay, guys, uh, any time you go in a public place, you should wear either a mask or a a visor or whatever, but a face covering, uh, it would help because we had a case in one store where a gentleman came and started making a fuss because he insulted the the staff and saying, this is uh, BS and so on. So, It would help, it would prevent retailers to face that situation if the government would say, "Okay, any time you go in a public place, you have to wear a face covering, in my opinion.
0: Right, because even even stores like yours that have the mandatory face covering rule, I think that's been one of the concerns, is it puts the policing of it or it puts... Uh, the the staff in a position exactly like that, if you have an unruly customer or somebody. Uh, But on the other side, I guess what what Dr. Bonnie Henry is saying as well is is like what you just said, that with your policy and with the government saying when you're indoors, wear a mask, it's not mandated, you're not going to be fined if you don't, just like you're not going to be fined if you don't wash your hands, but people should know uh, to do this. And it sounds like you're getting pretty good compliance of people doing that.
5: Yeah. Oh yeah, the compliance is actually even though it's not mandatory like you just said, people are um wearing masks and more and more I I walk a lot on the street and uh because I that's how I commute to work and um uh, <clears throat> I I see a lot of people wearing masks uh on the sidewalks. So um I think people are conscious that conscious that there is um there is a problem and it's let's let's they wanna be safe and they wanna keep the other safe. So um but I, I do understand that it is very difficult for the government to say wear a mask because they have no authority, they have they have no mean to um to find people who do who don't do that. And uh, it whatever i I was thinking uh writing to Dr. Barney to express my feeling about it. And then I said, no, I'm not going to do it because, you know, compliance, if you don't have anybody to enforce a compliance, what's the point?
0: Right. And it doesn't seem, even though we have seen other provinces, I think Prince Edward Island as well, and as I mentioned, Saskatchewan, just saying they are moving in that direction. It really doesn't seem like there's going to be that shift and there's going to be that order made in B.C.,
5: I think that's, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Um, we're going to stay like we are. Are you are
0: you concerned then as well that with the cases and the number of cases we've seen in this province, and again, we're also hearing from government, they don't want to have to lock things down again to go back to where we were at the beginning of this. But And if we don't see the transmission in, in, in shops and that, that, they wouldn't need to. But are you concerned with the numbers rising about what the future of retail might look like?
5: ah this is another chapter for another show the the situation of retail is has changed i consider for almost forever even after this uh, the situation will come back to normal which i hope will be by the end of next year uh, there will be a lot less a lot less retailers anywhere especially small retail are not going to last much longer if especially if there is another um, closing uh, mandated by the government then you know where are we going so it's it is a very very difficult situation for retailers and i do understand that the government you know refrain from asking or for saying, okay, let's close all these retail stores because, as you said, the case don't seem to come for, from a, uh, a, retail, a small like a small store like us where we allow only two or two, three customers inside at the same time. So, <clears throat> I don't think it comes from there. Um, and we don't want to go into judging where those cases are coming from or, or, and why. The re- and, you know, but um, let's stick with retail. It's, they're going to suffer for a very long time. That's my opinion.
0: All right. So, well, certainly I know there are others uh, in retail as well that are also uh, very concerned, not, all, not only about the upcoming holiday season, but the future after that as well. Uh, Daniel Ponselle, we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much for joining us to talk about this.
5: You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. Well, we know
0: one of the big reasons why Vancouver Coastal Health and Fraser Health are currently under increased restrictions was because of large gatherings, weddings, other celebrations, and get-togethers that were having way too many people, different groups of people coming and going. And for contact tracers, it was impossible to keep on top of it, and we were seeing spread of COVID-19. We also know that because of distancing rules and such, But people are being asked and told that there are consequences if you break the rules. So this next story out of Saanich might have you scratching your head a little bit. And joining me to talk about exactly what happened is Constable Marcus Anastasiatis with the Saanich uh, Police Public Information and Communication Officer Office. Thanks so much for being with us thanks for having us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so while well, you're you're there on behalf of, of the department, so what actually happened? What did Saanich Police uh, uncover at this residence?
2: So on Saturday morning at a just before 10 o'clock in the morning, we received a report of a gathering at a private residence. There were v- several vehicles on the street and concerns that there were guests that did not belong to the residence uh, gathering at this, at this one location. Our officers uh, attended the, the home and uh, looked in the garage and saw that there were seven individuals sitting on a poker table uh, playing poker. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, not distancing themselves from one another and not wearing masks. So a conversation was had with the homeowner. Uh, the guests did leave, and uh, based on the fact that we had been there approximately two weeks prior to that, and given a verbal warning and education about what the new orders were, uh, officers decided to issue a violation ticket for uh, not following the uh, the orders. Uh,
0: so th- these were people then that two weeks before officers had also been called and and went and explained the rule and said, "This is not a good idea. Please don't do this."
2: Correct. Yeah, this was just at the time that the uh, the, or- the new orders about having only six additional uh, guests into your private residence were issued by the Provincial Health Office. So uh, it was quite new, uh, quite unfamiliar. So uh, given that, we did educate this individual at the time uh, about what the new orders were. You know, there are new orders coming out uh, kind of regularly, so we-, we provided the information to them. So really, uh, the- for us to reattend uh, for the same complaint and to find that uh, there was direct um, non-compliance with the order. There were seven people playing poker, plus an additional three other individuals inside the residence that did not live there. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, we, we did have to issue a ticket. However, we wanted to set the message straight. And, um, and hopefully this has discouraged this individual from holding further events.
0: And so how much was the ticket for?
2: The ticket is for uh twenty three hundred dollars, so it is not a small violation, certainly. Um sends a strong message uh to not only this individual but maybe others that are considering uh holding small gatherings. Uh you know, this was just ten people that did not reside there. We issued a similar ticket uh at the end of October into the over the Halloween weekend was when there was a party of thirty uh individuals in a in a private residence celebrating Halloween so uh, two very different circumstances but with the same uh, end result because initially we had gone there to educate but uh, that didn't seem to get the message across
0: and do you think or have you heard any response or i'm thinking people might hear then say well come on it was just seven guests the rule is six guests what's the big deal if you have one more person
2: Right, I think well, you know you do have to draw the line somewhere in the sand, and um, we have been receiving similar complaints from the public in our community for, for overall concerns about um, people there, you know, and about not complying with the orders. Everyone is very concerned about what's happening, um, very worried about going forward, and they want uh, they're doing their best to to go forward and comply because we want to you know see the end result that everyone's in a in a healthy and safe community. So I I think that in this instance, um, the order is quite clear. It's six individuals, uh, and that is it, Um, and the fact that this individual was warned prior to Really, uh, something needed to be done to ensure this didn't happen again.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where people will, will see that it, it doesn't maybe if, if the ticket had been issued the first time, uh, that might ha- even though it's, it, it is still in, in contravention of the rule, that might have come across as, as a bit heavy-handed, but because they had been warned and were caught doing the exact same thing, uh, I think people might understand a little bit more. Uh, was there any consideration given to finding the actual people that were attending the event?
2: I don't know. I can't speak for the officers that attended directly. Uh, that is an option, and we have handed those tickets out uh, previously at a local university here. Um, when there were was a large, large gathering, this was 100 plus people, early September and that was an option because other or other options weren't on the table um, but I think in this case, the the find of the homeowner uh, was the, the correct course of action, really sends a message uh, you know, the fact that we're speaking about it today on the radio uh, certainly helps spread the awareness that uh, these kind of uh, gatherings are not tolerated and The police do have the powers uh, to issue the violation tickets, but we do want to, uh, our primary focus is to continue to educate and spread awareness of what the orders are.
0: And in this scenario, was it also the activity in that, and again, it would still be breaking the order, the the nature of the order by having that many people over, but it's also engaging in an activity. If you're playing poker, there's a good chance people are touching the same chips, they're sitting close together, they probably weren't wearing masks. Is it the activity itself that also, again, they were warned, is it the activity that's also, um, that also lends to, you can't do this, and that's why likely the officer that was there decided to go ahead with the fine rather than, say, another warning?
2: Uh, perhaps. You know, that, that could have had something to do with it. Uh, I think overall, though, it was the gathering and the fact that we had been there and this person knew what the rules were and it was made clear to them at the time. So I think regardless of what kind of activity they were doing, um, you know, the the consequences were, were fitting. And... Uh, y- it's, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate we did have to issue the fine and, you know, hopefully the message is, is strong and out there. But uh, you're right. They're passing along, you know, cards at, at poker and chips and handling items. And they're sitting at a poker table, which is not designed uh, from last I checked uh, for, for adequate spacing between individuals.
0: Uh, is there also a, a feeling, do you think, that because in some areas, and Vancouver Island being one of them, when there where there really aren't that many cases, certainly not nearly the cases that we're seeing in Vancouver Coastal Health and Fraser Health, uh, that there's perhaps an idea that it's not as big of a health concern and maybe it's easier to bend the rules? I
2: don't think so. I think just being out in the community, um, going out to stores and shops and residences, people are, are in our community are really complying by the, the provincial health orders. Uh, masks are being worn, social distancing is, distancing is being observed. The calls that we do receive and we have investigated, sometimes uh, we're, we're in, uh, on the face of what they appeared to be in the public light. After we investigated, were not what they were. For instance, um, a large gathering ended up being uh, construction uh, renovations on a business. So, So everybody, I think, here is very aware of what's happening, uh, not only in our community here on the island, but also on on the mainland. And uh, we're all trying to do our part together and get through this together. And, um, yeah, you know, we're really hoping for a a good turnaround here.
0: And I know you weren't the officer that was there and issued the ticket. But do you know by chance what the response was from the homeowner after being handed that $2,300 fine?
2: Uh, i i i wasn't on scene, you're correct uh i, I know that uh, i don't think it came as a surprise but uh I, I understand that the people at the at the party were not wearing masks some of them claimed to say that they did not um they did not know the rules but i, I think that that's it's it's kind of hard not to it's front and center on every uh headline and every news story every day uh we're getting updates from our uh, provincial health officer so uh i think the we have a right to inform ourselves with uh, what the current uh, orders are and how to protect ourselves and our loved ones going forward.
0: All right. We'll leave it there for today. Constable, thanks so much for joining us to bring us the details of this. Appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Well, just more than a month until Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, we know that the holidays, whatever holiday you might partake in, they are going to look a little bit different this year because of the pandemic. If you are a parent of small children, you probably already know this means your kids aren't going to be going to the mall and sitting on Santa's lap, telling Santa what they want for Christmas. However, our show contributor, John Jang, joins us now to talk about a new way that kids kids are going to be able to connect with Santa. It's the
6: most wonderful time of the year. Ah, the holidays. Just in time to pick up our spirits and get us into a festive mood after what has been a truly difficult and challenging 2020 so far. But as you already know, christmas and other holiday events are going to look sound and feel different this year because well we're still living through a global pandemic in fact that age-old tradition of sticking your kid on santa's lap in the mall it's a big no-no this year for obvious reasons so how will little timmy get to tell santa what he wants for christmas this year well, thankfully, the good folks at FromSanta.ca have figured that out, and you can now schedule a personal FaceTime session with the jolliest man in the North Pole. And for more on that, I am now joined by Sean Thompson. He's the founder of FromSanta.ca. And Sean, to give a little context, you know, I saw this preview video on Reddit over the weekend, and I loved this idea. I'm not even a parent. Right. Like, I don't even have a child, but I know for parents who do, they were probably wondering, like, how the heck am I going to make Christmas work this year if my kid doesn't get to meet and talk to Santa Claus?
7: And that's that's sort of the idea that we came up with. It was uh, we've been sort of in Christmas mode since middle of October building this. And uh, I'm currently in uh, Santa's Village right now. And uh, it was just one of those things sitting there one night. Um, I'm a lighting director in Toronto and we have a studio attached to our office. So we decided, like, hey, let's come up with a, a virtual Santa studio that we can do. Um, and one of the big things to us is we really wanted to partner with a charity because we think now more than ever these charities, uh, with COVID and everything going on, need our help. Um, so we partnered with Sick Kids Foundation, um, which has a little bit of a special place in my heart. When I was a kid, I had severe asthma. So we, um, yeah, we partner with them, and it's been amazing the response we're getting. And the great part of this is we don't just hit. Toronto, we hit right across Canada. Um, So we offer this service. People can book a live FaceTime with Santa, or they can do a three-minute pre-record.
6: And what has the response been like so far? Because as I said, I saw this post over the weekend, and I thought, it's just a brilliant idea. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one who looked into this right away.
7: It's been amazing. So we officially launched on the weekend on Saturday. Um, We put the website up and everything like that. And our response from uh, people all across Canada have been unbelievable uh, on Reddit as well as on Instagram. Uh, It's just been it's been phenomenal. It's one of those things we never I never expected it to be this big. uh, And just watching it grow every day. It's been been amazing.
6: You mentioned the charity. So, how is this going to work in terms of the donation you'll eventually be making? Will all of the money be going to the charity, or is it a portion of the proceeds? Just so people know, uh, who are curious about that.
7: So, it's one hundred percent of the profit goes to um, to Sick Kids. Um, obviously, we have a little bit of overhead with some of the advertising and stuff like that, um, and uh, obviously the cost of just the people uh, running the studio side. Um, but everything else does go straight to Sick Kids.
6: Now, just so we're clear, the Santa that I saw in that video, is that the real Santa that kids will be connecting with over the next few weeks?
7: That is him. Yeah, he's actually standing right beside
6: me. And you know what's great? The email that I got back from your team earlier today, the contact name on that email was listed as Santa's Helper. So it's obviously a lot of fun, not just for the kids here, but for you and your team working on this as well.
7: Absolutely, absolutely. It's one of those things we just want to put a smile on as many kids faces as we can this year. And even adults, we have a couple of adults that have booked, uh, booked a FaceTime with uh, Santa uh, in December. Uh, and it's been Yeah, it's just been a great, great response.
6: And that's great to hear because I wonder how big of a role this is going to play into people's mental health. And it's been such a difficult year, a very challenging year for a lot of us. And no matter how old we are, it's been very taxing. So the fact that adults are signing up to meet and talk with Santa specifically, that tells me there's clearly a lot of people who just want to take a break from the world and catch up with an old friend that maybe they haven't talked to in a while.
7: I think everyone just needs that, uh, just that one or two minutes, just away that we're not hearing about COVID and everything going on in the world. Uh, and it just takes you back to your childhood roots. And when you see Santa, um, we, we did a, yesterday we had a live uh, call with one of the children in Toronto and just to see this child's face light up to see Santa on the other side of the phone um, it just takes their mind off of it and gives them something to talk about all our Christmas trees our pixel maps so we can actually put their name in the Christmas trees uh, change it to any color that they want to see so it's just it's, it's great to see and it, again just takes their mind off of everything going on.
6: Now, apart from Santa, any chance that we're going to see some special cameos from other North Pole favorites? Maybe the little helper that emailed me earlier today, uh, maybe Mrs. Claus. And what about that red-nosed reindeer? Could they be featured, or is that asking a little too much here?
7: We definitely have a few things coming up uh, in the next couple months. I can't give them all away now, but in December, uh, we have a, a special visit coming in from Mrs. Claus. We have some elves that are in the studio as well during the call. Um, And as well as uh, later on, closer to Christmas, we actually have the reindeers as Santa's getting ready.
6: And for those listening, if they are interested in booking a session or if they just have any more questions and they need some answers, I'm assuming the best place to do that would be to go online.
7: That's exactly it. Yeah. www.fromsanta.ca.
6: All right. That is Sean Thompson, founder of FromSanta.ca. Sean, thank you so much for doing this and good luck.
7: Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it.